Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name is Nick Hill. I am a real estate investor, a mortgage agent, partner at Land Bank Advisors, and joined today and every Tuesday and Friday by my good buddy, Daniel Foch. Dan, what's going on, man? Not much. Interesting market right now. Uh, having a lot of fun with the course. Yes. And before we, I mean, I guess before we dive in on on all that, I want to just let everybody know today we're going to be talking about. We wanted to talk about this before, but it then we, we thought we missed it. We got too close to the deadline, and then. This headline comes out, CRA extends deadline for underused housing tax by six months. Not six days, not six hours, not six weeks. They're just like, you know what? Have another half year to figure it out, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm assuming it didn't warrant the results that they expected, mm. um, which mm. we're going to get into. But uh, before we do that, Nick, let's talk about, start off with the course, maybe. Yeah, of course. I would love to. So you've, if you've been listening, you've you've probably heard us mention it a few times. We're not out here trying to push it too hard because what we're really trying to do with this is really stand out and be different from every other real estate course and every other guru and all that kind of stuff out there. You know, Dan and I fought the idea of, of doing something like this for a long time. But after hundreds of hours of phone calls with podcast listeners, people reaching out on DMs, people reaching out over LinkedIn and reaching out every way you can. And we got asked so many times to do something like this that we're like, you know what, let's do it, but let's do it differently. So we have literally built out what I would consider the best course out there. We have an amazing cohort of, of 20 people that have helped you know, us build it, have helped us build it and are continuing to help us build it. And guess what? We are opening it back up for V2 when are we opening it up again, Dan? Is I think it? the 15th of November. Yeah, so like and then quite be, soon. Yeah, and so if you if you sign up on the 15th, uh, anytime after the 15th of November until the 15th of December, you'll get access to the back catalog. So you'll be able to see everything that we did with the previous cohort. And then in January of next year, we're going to release some more properly edited, animated videos on a weekly basis, the basically going through the same. Yeah, redoing the entire curriculum. And then... You'll also be on the 15th, uh, you'll be able to start participating in the forum on the, sorry, on the 15th of December, you'll be able to start because that's when the existing cohort ends. You'll be able to start participating in the forum, which is, that's probably like a lot of action and that's there. a, yeah, it is. And, and, and that's a big piece of, of the value. Like we, there's a lot of polls going on. There's a lot of people sharing knowledge, asking questions, solving problems together. And so that to, to me is kind of what is one of the big pieces of value. And then this actually, we haven't even really, we haven't even announced this to our existing cohort yet, but in the new year, we're also going to be having experts on regularly yeah, really to talk about, about different topics. Yeah. So I think we'll have one a week so you can just drop in and do a, a zoom session with them. And it's like a Q and a, I think we're going to have property management mortgages legal. So like a lawyer, and then we'll kind of just rotate through different topics that are pertinent to investors. So those will almost be like subcategories of the education component of what we're doing. Yeah, building a huge digital community here. The the coolest thing is, you know, this is we have people across the country already on it and that's really what we're trying to do is is make this Canada wide. So if you want to find an investor partner in another province, boom, you can do that here. 
And if you're looking for proprietary digital assets, we are building them and you have exclusive access to those in the course. Anyways, enough of that. Let's move on quickly here, Dan. We've got two other things to cover. Merch. Merch. We should be wearing that. I'm going to go on and order a Christmas sweater right now, actually. Yeah. You know um, what? I, I ordered a, a medium last year and then I started working out again and uh, it's a little tight. So I'm going to be ordering a large this year for Lee Navidad and Mary Tiffmas from our lovely governor of the bank of canada so if you want to if you want everybody to know that you're a landlord or that you are uh <laughs> into macro then we have christmas sweaters for you to wear so that uh, they can avoid you at, yes. at the christmas parties <laughs> this year <laughs> and that's another great segue uh holiday parties meetups come out to them they are the real life version of the digital community we're building get out meet people, do deals, and wear, uh, wear the Christmas sweaters to the to them uh, so everyone knows that, you know, you're a real estate That'd guy. It'd be sweet just to see a <laughs> sea of those Christmas sweaters. <laughs> okay, let's dive into it. The CRA extends the deadline for underused housing tax by six months, Dan. Yeah, so and I think this is the second time they extended it. So, yeah, I guess we're going to be talking about that today, how they extended it. No surprises here from my perspective, really. The UHT, of course, we love acronyms on this show. It's not uh, an acronym for something else that real estate investors need. What is it again? Which is ultra huge truck. (laughs) I don't know if uh, that one applies here. The ultra huge truck, otherwise known as the underused housing tax, is a annual federal 1% tax on the ownership of vacant or underused housing in Canada that took effect on January 1st of 2022. The tax generally applies to foreign national owners of housing in Canada. However, in some situations, this tax also applies to Canadian homeowners, such as partners, trustees, and corporations. So if you own property as a partnership in a trustee or in a corp, this applies to you. The tax comes from the Underused Housing Tax Act. Yeah. Great name for an act, by the way. I'm very into literal naming of stuff. So you may have heard, this comes from the CRA website. You may have heard about a new vacancy tax in certain provinces and municipalities. So we saw Toronto do this, Vancouver. These vacancy taxes have been implemented by provincial municipal governments and are different than the federal underused housing tax. You must determine if you're affected by each of these taxes separately. So this might be one of the areas where they're having some issues with confusion because there's so many taxes being added right now that people can't even, they're like, oh, who do I have to pay next? Which tax is this? Um, Anyway, if you're exempt from one tax, you may still be required to file a return and pay the other tax. The CRA is not able to answer questions about taxes implemented by provincial and municipal governments. That comes from the CRA website, straight from the horse's mouth. I feel like the CRA is not able to answer their phones or sometimes their emails either. Hard, hard to get a hold of. I have nothing there. bad to say about the CRA. No, neither way. We love the CRA. Uh, it's also crazy to me that we've gotten to the point in the market where we're actually taxing vacant homes. I mean, on one hand, this is, it's such a double-edged sword from my perspective. On one hand, it feels like a bit of an overstep on individual sovereignty and the ability to do what you please with your property. To me, Mm -hmm. the libertarian in me is like, you know, that is one of those fundamental rights that people have when you're choosing to own property. And it is, it is a little bit further away from, you know, this typical, I, 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 you're reluctant to use like these imperialistic colonial, you know, concepts uh, with land registry, but that's really what they were. Like, you know, there's no, nobody disputing that that's what, what the whole thing came from. But on the other hand, it is, it also a clear effort to turn housing into a more productive asset, which it should be 
you know, it should be helping to house people. That's why they were built um, rather than a, spe- you know, a speculative vehicle. So it's discouraging speculation and making it uh, cost more to leave an asset unproductive, which I can appreciate. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the economic idea of a land value tax is often proposed for similar purposes. An LVT, a land value tax, is a method of assessing property taxes that only considers the value of the land itself and related improvements and not the structure built on the land. So not the house or the duplex or whatever. A LVT, again, a land value tax is considered to be a more fair method of land taxation for agricultural reasons because that land is actually productive. Yeah. And we talked about this in the episode with uh, Evergrande and how like I could actually see China wanting to see housing values come down because they don't consider houses to be a productive asset. Whereas like land is a productive asset. Again, like thinking about capital pieces of of land, things that land that can actually produce stuff. Mm -hmm. But when you think about it again, and China is a great example because they have this vacant home issue uh, where they've overbuilt, uh, but they also don't really have a housing crisis. I think they had a bit of a speculation issue in certain cities. We have rents are soaring, people can't afford houses, homelessness is rising, and yet we have empty homes all over the country, apparently. Yeah, it's pretty messed up. Um, I mean, a lot of those could be second homes, cottages, pied de terres. You've know, been, you have been practicing your French, eh? I get, I get ripped too often. And, so, uh, what is a pied de terre? <laughs> a pied de terre which translate literally to foot on the ground means a small apartment or house or a room that's kept for occasional use. Okay. So then let's say, you know, a good portion of them are not just people speculating and leaving a house empty for other reasons, which we're going to get to. Cottages and pied de would, from my perspective, further illustrate the wealth disparity that's caused by real estate in this country. No? Yeah, I mean, definitely. You're right on that. And it points further to the idea of that K-shaped recovery that's come up just a few times on this show, which is an economic recovery that favors one group of the population more than the other. Picture a K. The K that's going up to the right is the good. And the K that's going down to the left, the part of the K that's going down to the, sorry, down to the right is the unfavored portion of the population. Yeah. And and we've talked about it a bit on the show. And that's, this is like really, you know, we talk about finding your why as an investor. This is our why. This is why we want to help people invest in real estate. You know, there's like the whole, you'll own nothing and be happy crowd. You know what I mean? Like oh, they, yeah. they conspiracize about that stuff or whatever, but let's just assume that like Canada goes towards a renter's economy and that would divide the asset or that would divide the recovery into haves and have not. So we assume the economy is going to have a drop and then there's going to be a recovery period. And, and what we've seen in inflationary countries like Canada is that assets seem to be the best way for people to get on the top end of that K-shaped recovery rather than the bottom end of that K-shaped recovery. And that's one of the big reasons why we want to do this, why we're doing the course, why we give away all this information for free. And we actually included, you know, a little bit more of a thorough analysis in it, in that the free, we're actually recording right after this, a free training video, which is basically like a summary of the course to almost like promote it uh, Mm -hmm. a little bit. But that to me is like one of the core reasons why we want to help people own. Yeah. And I mean, that's because again, as you said, Dan, the economy is being divided into haves and have nots and inflation and interest rates just propel that even further, right? And hard uh, by the ownership of hard assets, especially real estate here in Canada, which is often considered 
a hedge against said inflation. Yeah, and, and we could certainly see more inflation or even stagflation if Tiff Macklem is being honest when he says that they may have to cut rates before inflation gets back to that 2 or 3% target range. Mm-hmm. Now, stagflation, Dan? Yeah, I know. I, can just, I, I saw you itching over there. <laughs> It's time for the dictionary to come out. Stagflation is an economic term used to describe a situation in which an economy experiences a combination of stagnation and inflation, two typically conflicting economic conditions. But here's a breakdown of what each one of these components means. It's not to be confused with swagflation, which is when you buy one of our Christmas sweaters and your swag is inflating. Good. That's. Is that Dan, that's a Dan Foch original right there. Yeah. Swagflation, you heard it here first. But stagnation, stagnation refers to a period of slow or stagnant economic growth, high unemployment, and underutilization of resources in an economy. During a period of stagnation, there is little or no growth in the production of goods and services, and the economy may be operating below its full potential. Inflation, on the other hand, inflation is the sustained increase in the general price level of goods and services in the economy over time. When inflation occurs, the purchasing power of a currency diminishes. And you've heard us say that before. The purchasing power of the Canadian dollar has been going down, meaning that it takes you more money to buy the same goods and services as it did before. For sure. Okay, so let's let's unwind a little bit from the the doomer economic stuff, and we'll. I want to create a little bit of context around. It's funny. I'm, I feel like I'm a Canadian politician. I'm not going to name who is really into <laughs> creating context around stuff, but it sounds crazy when you talk about there being so many empty homes uh, that we need to impose a tax on them being underused in yeah. Canada. So in 2001, the nationwide vacancy rate in Canada was 7.8%, increasing to 8.6% in 2006. Sorry, 8.4% in 2006, 8.6% in 2011, and 8.7% in 2016. However, it dropped from 2016 to 2021 to 8%. So it came down not much, like 10%. Mm-hmm. 10 and uh, yeah, you're right, Dan. And then our friends at Better Dwelling covered this uh, with uh, Stat Canada data with an article titled New Data Shows Canada Still Has 1.3 Million Vacant Homes. Some improvements have been seen. Yeah, it, it is a widely disputed stat, though. So in 2022, a Financial Post article by Murtaza Hader says, busting the myth of Canada's million or more vacant homes, a deep dive by Murtaza Hader and Stephen Moranis about uh, or reveals the alarmists have misinterpreted the data. So no, yeah. possible. So a data point from that article states that Vancouver imposed a vacant home tax in 2017 and Toronto is doing the same this year. But the vacant tax in Vancouver has netted tens of thousands of empty property, has, sorry, has not netted tens of thousands of empty properties. A similar outcome is expected in Toronto. This is an article from 2022. We're going to get to what it actually what actually happened, um, where the local government expects to find 6,500 or n- to 9,600 Vacant dwellings, though some would not, uh, some or many would not qualify, or sorry, would qualify for an exemption from the vacant home tax. And after that, this headline in April in the Toronto Star just says 2,100 properties reported empty through Toronto's new vacant home tax. The results of the mandatory declaration with responses from 96% of the owners suggest Toronto is not a ghost city of vacant units, according to the headline. Well, I can tell you for sure. Based off traffic alone, Toronto's not a ghost city, okay? <laughs> yeah. 
Wednesdays especially, oh. peak office day, which we'll get to eventually. We got, we got to do an update on the office, I think. Yes, so, yes. So then on October 11th, this article came in. <laughs> it came out, I guess, because they expected more revenue because they expected more vacant homes. Council votes to hike Toronto's vacant home tax to 3% as the housing crisis grows. City Council voted 21 to 2 in favor in a Wednesday meeting. And we started at 1%, right? So 1% to 3%. Yeah. Bit of a jump there. You know, I think this is... A, one of the predictions that I have, I think people like, I think capital is going to push back a little bit. Investment's going to push back a little bit on things like this. It's kind of like the thing where it's like, okay, like, cause I mentioned the more libertarian perspective towards this earlier. It's like the freedom of speech thing. It's like freedom of speech doesn't, it's not freedom to not be like judged for the things that you say, you know, or not be held accountable for the things that you say. Like, doesn't mean you can just go around saying bad things and people are going to be like, Oh, freedom. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think that I think that that from a tax perspective that you kind of see the same thing where they have the freedom to tax people to do stuff like this, right? Mm. But somebody who would choose to speculate, I, I don't support this. I think it's a very dumb thing to do, by the way. Speculate, buy a property, leave it vacant. But regardless, people are free. I respect their decision to make dumb financial decisions. Um, <laughs> but if you t if you take that tax or if you tax it, then it doesn't that doesn't mean that capital isn't free to to just leave. And I think that that could happen, right? Mm -hmm. As a result of, if they just keep slapping people with stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, more, and, more taxes, but, you know, people, people don't love that. Right. Yeah. So I think like, as they start, you know, all these things, underutilized homes, whatever it is, like, I think if we start stacking taxes. It's a good way, easy way to scare capital away from the asset class in Canada. Yeah, you're totally right, Dan. And I guess this whole thing is going to show us how many vacant homes are there in Canada through the UHT. Well, I mean, that's the goal anyways. And, you know, when I did this two weeks ago, first of all, I had to do it twice because we own several properties together in a corp. So we had one of our partners go and fill all that out. And then I own a few other properties in a general partnership with, uh, with some partners and I literally got the whole thing done on the phone with my accountant in in minutes. Like it was a, it was just a few minutes process. Then I asked him the next, uh, you know, I spent the next five minutes asking him, what the hell is this about? And he was like, yeah, this is literally just for the government to cat catalog who owns the homes here because they essentially have no clue. Yeah. And that's, that's really all it is. Right. Mm -hmm. um, which I, and we're going to talk quite a bit about it, but I do, I can appreciate why they're doing that. So for sure. Uh, yeah. So you kind of want to know who owns the biggest assets in the country. And it's not even just that you have to, in order to uh, put policy in place to solve the problem, which we'll get to. So, but before we do that, even if you run it in comparison to other countries in the OECD, it, and I would say we have probably the worst housing crisis on this list, maybe except for Australia, but we have the 11th highest percentage of vacant homes in the OECD. So we're not, we're basically right in the middle of the pack. If you look at this data visually. So we're after Japan, Cyprus, Hungary, Brazil, USA, Finland, Chile, Slovenia, Australia, and Ireland. And I think from that list, Australia is the only one who has a housing crisis as bad as ours. Um, then after us on that list is France, Poland, New Zealand, Colombia, Denmark, Netherlands, Switzerland, Iceland, and the UK being the lowest. Yeah, really interesting list. And so anyways, the government has decided to deal with this so-called issue by putting a tax on the vacant or, as they say, underused homes. And while they're doing this, it does seem like they are trying to build up basically a beneficial ownership registry, which they did say that they were going to do. And we'll, we'll mention the legislature that, so this I think is a part of that. So, and, and I can respect that. One of my problems with the underused 
home tax, just like the foreign owners ban, is that it feels like they're trying to throw policy. There's a, there's got to be a nickel original for this, like throwing poop at the wall, you know, <laughs> and throwing pasta at the wall, the, maybe. Because hey, that's how you tech if it's cooked. Did you know that? I, I usually just throw it at myself, right in my <laughs> mouth, and see if it's uh, nice and authentic <laughs> enough. There but, you go. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I guess you're a true Italian, so yeah, you don't even hey, really cook it, right? Why, it's got to yeah, be like yeah. a, still a little al dente. <laughs> um, anyway, so it feels like they're just throwing policy at a problem and or even just symptoms of problems, and they don't actually even know what problem they're trying to solve for because we literally don't know who owns all the real estate in this country. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. Like it, the attempt to create a beneficial ownership registry. Yeah, so I know it's a new term. So have fun, <laughs> do your thing. <laughs> The government of Canada tables new legislation to create a beneficial ownership registry in March of 2023. In its quest for corporate transparency and in order to reinforce the anti-money laundering regime contemplated by the agreement to strengthen beneficial ownership transparency uh, that was entered into in 2017 by the Canadian government and provincial finance ministers, the federal government announced that it plans to implement a public searchable beneficial ownership registry for federal business corporations before the end of 2023. Now pushed, of course, another six months. The proposed registry would disclose ownership interests in corporations. So beneficial owner, think about the owner of a corporation who benefits from the earnings of that same corporation. Just a Brilliant TLDR there. I love that. <laughs> so so one of the best ways to do this is to require corporations who own things in Canada, which you know they most frequently like to do is real estate, um, for which we already have a registry, but we don't know who owns the corporation that owns the real estate. Exactly. If it's just a numbered corp, you just see a numbered corp and, and it's not, hey, Daniel Foch owns this McMansion. Right. It's a uh, Numbered corp owns it. Right. And so, and this is where, you know, we've heard a lot of issues with money laundering in, ca in Canadian real estate, proceeds of crime, et cetera. These are, are issues. And, and I think that they can't really get to the root of them if they don't know who owns the corpse that, right. So pretty simple. And, and one of the best ways to actually build this registry is to require these corporations who own the property to file in the UHT because corporations need to file which individual is using the property or who is benefiting from the property and subject to or not subject to the tax. But it seems like it's a little difficult to get people to actually sign up for this beneficial ownership registry or even to declare if their property is underused because the reporting date of the tax was extended again until April of next year. That's April of 2024. Yeah, so I guess they won't have their beneficial ownership registry by the end of the year now. Apparently, even the hefty fines were not enough to push them. The fine was going to be 5000 or $10,000. Yes, I mean, I guess a bunch of people just dodged a laziness tax for now. It really makes you wonder how many people failed to file or were the people that failed to file so wealthy that they're like, I don't care, hit me with the five or 10 grand. That's that's a drop in the bucket because yeah. I own, you know, 45 condos that are all losing money. Yeah. I mean, it's like the, you know, you mentioned the laziness tax. It could also be a privacy tax, right? Like very for true. People, for yes. people, it's like, oh, I, well, I'll, I have to pay 10 grand for- I'd say much more know. privacy than right. laziness. Right. And, and it doesn't say per corporation per property. So if you own one corporation that owns 
10 or 100 properties. By the way, this isn't advice. I'm not saying this, but I, but it wouldn't surprise me. But it wouldn't surprise me if the people who are causing the problems that they're trying to solve for with this beneficial ownership registry are kind of just like, "Eh, you know, whatever. Okay, 10k, like done. Cool. Where do I pay it?" Yeah. Right? And and at at that point if it ensures them the continued privacy, which is one of the reasons I think a lot of people buy real estate in Canada, then maybe they'll you know, they'll just pay the fee. So, and also I think if you're like an absentee landlord, you know, again, we hear this a lot out of the country, either an absentee landlord or somebody leaving a unit vacant who's speculating so hard that you're leaving a unit vacant. You may also just be not paying any attention to Canadian tax law. So, and this is what I mean when I, when I mention people or when I mention policy, treating the symptoms, you're ignoring the cause, which is that in Canada, People are financially incentivized to keep a housing unit vacant. And I will always stand behind people's right to do that and to do what they want with their property. But I can also acknowledge that it is very problematic for a country with a housing crisis to have 1.3 million vacant homes. Completely agree. And after hearing that, you may be asking yourself, why might someone want to leave a unit vacant. We're landlords, we're real estate investors. Isn't the whole point to be making money off of these units? Well, there's a few reasons here. The first is maybe they feel it's too risky to take on a tenant given the landlord-tenant disputes, especially in certain provinces such as Ontario, where it's nearly impossible to get a tenant out, even if they are literally doing criminal activity or destroying your unit. Second reason is maybe they are making just as much money from capital gains as they would from renting it out and they're wealthy enough that they can just afford to hold that unit. Or perhaps they have a tax incentive to lose annual income on paper in favor of those capital gains. For example, if their income tax bracket is higher than their capital gains bracket, they would choose to then sell that unit down the road instead of having to deal with renting it. Yeah, I mean, and maybe maybe it's not as complex as we just mentioned. Maybe it's a cottage. Maybe it's a pied-à-terre. Ah, wee oui, wee. Oui. <laughs> I almost said C. But... Um, I don't maybe, speak English. Yeah, like maybe, it. but maybe, maybe it's a future development site, right? Like this is exactly. Um, maybe yeah. it's an existing development site that is awaiting approvals since those take some time, mm-hmm. and uh, and the house is vacant as a result, and and this is. One, you know, this is kind of the same reason why we're hearing of areas in Toronto losing housing units on paper this year because the houses are getting demolished, but it's actually because more units will be added in their place in the future in a couple of years. Exactly. And if we were able to speed up that process, that may be a better use of everyone's time and money here. So now that we've sufficiently colored in the context that we wanted to provide here, let's talk about the underused housing tax that we are here to talk about today. Man, this government loves taxes. I mean, to be fair, they did give a rebate on the carbon tax for heating oil until 2026. That was a wild one to see. Um, heating oil, I mean, it seems like maybe vote buying, or I guess some people are saying that. Mm. And and heating oil is very popular in Atlantic Canada, where I think the they were that party was, the Liberal Party, was, was, uh, was very surprised to lose votes. And 
they didn't even walk back the carbon tax in in the prairies wh- whose premiers are basically now asking uh, asking them to match the rebate and even threatening to stop <laughs> collecting the carbon taxes on natural gas in Saskatchewan which is just wild so. and, and you made a pretty great Instagram reel about this topic, yeah didn't you Dan yeah okay so go check that out if you if you follow Dan on Instagram at Daniel Foch and while you're there give me a follow as well at my buddy Nick um, yeah, I hope Nick gets a 10K. I'm close, guys. He messages me every day a picture of his... Uh, <laughs> I think he's going to... He's ordered a live counter, follower counter for <laughs> um, the studio. Yeah, I mean, but back to... We don't get political on this show, um, but it is a rough time to be a politician. It reminds me of the concept we mentioned on the show, political business cycles, right? Everything comes in cycles. And there are two streams of theories in the literature around the political business cycle. First is... Partisan theories stress the difference of fiscal and monetary preferences between the parties, whereas leftist parties are expected to boost real economic activity, such as employment. Rightist parties are thought to focus on fighting inflation. A second set of models concentrate on the manipulation of policy instruments by politicians who may or may not be seeking re-election. Yeah, and so I think... You know, we again, we try not to get political on the show, but it is worth trying to understand and forecast um, consumer sentiment, which you can see in the polls and in policies that are happening as a result of politicians trying to solve things like the housing crisis, as an example. Opportunities that exist there. Policy is one of it that the policy pen stroke is one of the greatest ways that value can be created or destroyed in real estate. So we're seeing incentives to multiplex everything in, in Canada, as an example. Right, like really, that seems like yeah. the whole. Con- the, I think the majority of the country will be upzoned to a minimum of two units within which the is, next ten years. That's which is super that's cool. I think I probably sooner than that. We're already seeing you know the major right. players across the country: Vancouver, yeah. Toronto, yeah, Calgary, provinces are suggesting provinces, it. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, but the other piece is the political business cycle, and it's it's you know, are we aiming for uh, economy that's running hot, like it basically has been for the past 30 years in Canada, full employment, et cetera, or are we finally at the point where we've hit the wall of inflation? That's the, the problem that Canadians are facing most right now. We talked about with, with the K-shaped recovery, we talked about it with with a stagflation concept. And if that's what you think is going to be the most um, pressing policy issue, then again, you can adjust your path as an investor accordingly. Um, and And this is where you really are starting to see the political business cycle. We mentioned this a long time ago on the show. It's one of the cycles. We mentioned a, we did an episode on a couple of different cycles, but the political business cycle is important because you can see it unfolding right in front of you. It's gotten to the point where Tiff Macklem has ma- even made statements about how fiscal policy is inflationary by basically spending and giving out money and entitlements. He was drawn into a political debate where he appeared at the House of Commons Finance Committee and acknowledged that eliminating the carbon tax could create a one-time drop in inflation of 0.6 percentage points theoretically bringing the inflation rate from 3.8% to 3.2%. But when you hear a lot of this stuff, you start to wonder if Canada's current government would be a believer in something called modern monetary theory. Can I get a dictionary here? Wow. The two dictionaries. I've been teeing you up. I think it's three, actually. Three. Here we go. Modern monetary theory, MMT, is a heterodox macroeconomic supposition that asserts that monetarily sovereign countries such as the UK, the US, Japan, and Canada, which spend tax and borrow in fiat currency that they fully control are not operationally constrained by revenues when it comes to federal 
government spending. Now that may be a little hard to understand. So can I get a definition on this? Yeah. So put sim- <laughs> put simply, the MMT decrees that such governments do not rely on taxes or borrowing for spending since they can print as much money as they need and they're monopoly issues or issuers of their currency. And obviously overdoing that could have impacts on the purchasing power of a dollar. Since their budgets aren't like a regular household, their policies should not be shaped by fears of the rising national debt. This isn't my perspective, by the way, this is just MMT. Several other differences also exist between mainstream MMT and, or sorry, mainstream mon- monetary theory and modern monetary theory. The most important being the sequence of events that emerges emerges from loans and deposits. So basically, they believe that you can create household savings or actually grow the economy by running a deficit. So pump a bunch of money into the economy, let it circulate, and grow for a period of time. So like I'm lending it to you, you know, we're buying houses, this and that, all this stuff's going on. The money's you know fulfill it's being productive and then the government can tax it back out to recover the government debt later the challenge in canada right now is the taxing it back out part Mm -hmm. if this is their belief is coming at the very wrong time where we're basically in a stagflationary environment and it could exacerbate or is clearly exacerbating the stress that households are feeling I, i know we keep going into the weeds but it's so easy once we're on topics that touch economics and politics and honestly those things are so important right now as investors. I think they're probably the two most important pieces of the conversation right now because you've seen, you know, past two years, if people made the wrong investment based on macro or politics, they got are, are getting in trouble or rates, you know, monetary theory mm-hmm. if, or sorry, monetary policy if they made the wrong decision. And, and you know, even just as simply as this tax, it could be as high as 1% of the property value per year. So let's get back to that tax now. What's getting, what's going on with it? Right. So we were here to talk about the CRA and their extension of the deadline for homeowners to file their taxes for the vacant or underused residential property in the country, which they have now extended by six months. Okay. So let's start by discussing what the UHT is, because much to my dismay, it's not actually a ultra huge truck, which I was, (laughs) I thought most all investors needed, but people may not be aware of what it actually is. Right. So on January 1st of 2022, the UHT, also known as underused housing tax was proposed. It's basically an annual 1% tax on ownership of vacant or underused housing in Canada. Typically, this tax will apply to the affected owners, including foreign and non-permanent resident owners of residential property in Canada. In addition, it applies to Canadians who own residential properties through, again, a trust, a private corporation, or a partnership. So if the property is currently occupied regularly by a tenant or you or whatever, then it may be exempted from the taxes. So you're telling me if the property is not underused, it doesn't have to pay the underused housing yeah, tax? You wouldn't believe it. Eh? Wow. I know. Pretty Shocking. intuitive stuff. But you can click through on their website and actually Kenneth Yim, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Kenneth Yim you, you Holmes. Got, you got buddies? Yeah. He put together a great flow chart, which is basically what the, um, so shout out to Kenneth. Uh, we have it, uh, we, we do some like YouTube things just to get these cut up into reels for us on, uh, on Instagram I'll send easily. It to him. But if you want to see it, there's a flow chart and check, check out his Instagram. He pu- published it, but it's basically a flow chart and it shows you, it, it's going to be too hard for us to actually explain, but it's worth looking at visually. But basically, if you're a corporation, you're an affected owner, you have to file even if you owe it or not. Um, and so for our investors, most of us, you know, you know, it's our advice to typically own your second property, not beyond your primary residence in a corporation. You you have to file. And you, in most cases, you don't have to pay because you probably have a tenant in there because the investment strategy that we tell people is not leave a house vacant. Mm. But anyway, there's 
if you go to the uh, the CRA website, if you just Google underused housing tax, you can actually end up clicking through all of these things where it shows if you put who must file a return and pay the tax, it gives you a little bit of a breakdown, which we're going to get to. And then you can actually click. So it's like, oh, you know, if I'm a corporation, then it'll ask you, is a corporation any of the following, a registered charity, et cetera, et cetera? No. Okay. That does the corporation own residential property as a trustee, mutual fund trust, et cetera. A bunch of stuff that, you know, if you're a beginner investor, second property, third property, probably not, not that relevant. But anyway, you now have an extra six months to do this. So go do it. Call your accountant. Well, get your accountant to do it because they can literally do it in like minutes. Yeah, they literally just call you yeah. and ask you a couple questions about your property and then and click it's a done. button, I think, yeah. and charge you 500 bucks. Yeah, <laughs> well, I guess it's better than the 5,000. Yeah, that's uh, true. You know. yeah. That's a good business to get in, eh? It's like, Boy. you know, $500 fee to save you five grand. Uh, that can be done in five minutes. Yeah, there was just a triple five rule. <laughs> okay, so anyway, there are a few other exemptions uh, that, help people basically not have to pay the UHT tax. Yeah. And it's starting to sound a bit like the foreign ownership ban that came out years ago that was then revised to include a huge list of exemptions. So basically anyone could buy a property as a foreign investor. So let's look at some of the exemptions for this one. Yeah. So basically primary uh, primary residence uh, of yourself, spouse, or common law partner, authorized international student qualifying occupants, or the owner occupied at least 180 days during the occupancy period continuous occupancy, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe we'll just quickly go through how to calculate it as well. It's pretty, pretty simple because it's a very I mean, it's easy 1%. integer. percent. So yeah, yeah let's, uh, let's go through it. Yeah, so basically this. you need the value of the property and then the tax rate, which is 1%. And then your ownership percentage of the property, which is where, you know, for corporations, it could be different. Like, you know, we own properties together where I own X percent of the corporation and you own Y percent of the mm-hmm. corporation and they're different numbers. So you as an individual would have to pay the tax if again, our, if ours were subject to it, you know, we're affected owners, but we're not, we're not actually having to pay the taxes in a lot of cases. Um, but basically you just take the value of the property, which you can use a fair market value method, which is similar to like when you're a lot of, you know, if you're going to the CRA and you need like a backdating on the fair market value of your property, you'll often ask a realtor for a CMA. Some people will use an appraiser if you need to be more accurate, but you could, yeah. And then you, so you take that value, multiply it by the underused housing tax rate, multiply it by the ownership percentage, and that gives you the underused tax amount owed. So let's give an example here. Let's say you're one of three owners of the property and your ownership percentage is 35% because you get more than everyone else in there. <laughs> and, uh, and the value of the residential property is 550000 for the 2023 calendar year. So first multiply the value of the property by the underused housing tax rate, which is 1%. This means 550,000 times 1% is $5,500. Then you multiply that by your ownership percentage. So you would take 35% of 5,500 bucks, $1,925. So that means your tax amount, if you had an underused house was 1,925. Um, But if you fail to file, you'd have to pay a fine of $5,000 for an individual or $10,000 for a corporation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you said it right there, Dan. It's it's pretty simple. Basically, the CRA has further extended this for owners to file their returns for the 2022 taxation year without being charged interest or penalties for that extra six months, which will take us to the end of April in 2024. 
Yeah. So I think investors will be happy, obviously, who own the underutilized properties. Now they have more time to assess their holdings, determine whether or not they, uh, or there's more, maybe there's just more time for the news to get to them. Um, But they can review their portfolio, consider whether or not, you know, they need to make a change or, you know, maybe they should put a tenant in there, which I think is kind of one of the objectives here. And with the extension in place, they can decide whether or not they want to keep the property or sell it off rather than, you know, having to pay this new tax or again, put it, put someone, you know, make the property not underused, et cetera. Mm -hmm. There's lots of options you can exercise. Yeah, for sure. And the extension should also reduce the risk for investors incurring those penalties and interest charges for filing late. It buys us time to raise awareness around the program so that people can opt into it and do one of those things like use the house. Yeah. And uh, I like how you said us, like it's our job to raise awareness. So it is. It we're is. we're it out is. here we're raising yeah, awareness. Go, <laughs> yeah. Everybody go uh, check out the CRA website and make sure you file because <laughs> we're big fans of the CRA. <laughs> that uh, that could help the optics though, because I, I imagine they must have had a huge amount of non-filings in order to extend the date again. Like, especially by six months, they're like, yeah, no, we, you know, we could try and keep it on target, guys, and just get this ownership registry built by the end and, of the and year. Start and it's shooting like, out no, all those yeah. fines, but uh, so either either it either means the tax is probably not being adopted nearly as well as it as it would would have hoped to be, and they probably are imagining, oh, if we had to fine all of these people. We were going to get so much pushback. I mean, the reality is they gave people a lot of time, but anyway. So yeah, let's let's talk about that. Why are they having so much trouble getting people to sign up? Well, you know, the more people are not really signing up for the extended underlies using utilized housing tax program in Canada. I mean, people could find the application process either too complicated, which it isn't, or too time consuming, which again, it isn't because of the extensive paperwork or, you know, unclear guidelines that come in, you know, that usually are associated with, with taxes or new legislation. Some people find it complex for them to handle. But again, I literally did this on the phone with my accountant in under five minutes. Yeah. I think, and I think when you explain it that way, it's not complicated, but when you look at the website, it can be complicated. Yes. Right? Like, you know, I don't know what it is, but like your blood kind of boils a little bit whenever, even when I get like a installment reminder from the CRA, which like comes every quarter and I know it's coming. Like you're, you're kind of like when you're seeing it's a cop, like, oh like even if you're not goodness. doing anything yeah. wrong, you, you see a cop out on the road and we also like, have guilty consciences yeah. for some well, reason. I think everybody has yeah. that. I, I yeah. think, I hope like, but yeah, I, I'm not just you and I when I'm doing my days of breaking limit. the law are super yeah. gone. Like that's all way behind me, but uh yeah. Anyway, so there, I guess there's also a fear of, uh, you know, increased tax burden. I think a lot of people are feeling, really feeling the pressure. Yeah. Uh, no the, one wants the pressure. No, no one wants an extra five or 10,000 or even, even if you file and it's still under that $2,000 mark, or if yeah. you get your account to do it and you still have to pay them 500 bucks to do it, right? That's still money out of people's pockets that maybe a lot of people don't have right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, honestly, if a lot of people value the fact that Canada didn't have a ben, uh, beneficial ownership registry, like I, I think a lot of investors valued Canada investing in Canada because <laughs> you could hide. I honestly think that was a big value proposition. Um, and there's a reason why uh, money laundering in Canadian real estate is so common because it's not that difficult. And, and so I think a lot of people actually don't want to be disclosing this info and might just like, I think that their uptake might actually be a lot smaller. Like, I think they're you're probably going to get more from this extension. And obviously this podcast episode, cause we probably got huge. We should be charging <laughs> referral. We should be getting an affiliate link from CRA probably. But, but I think there's a good portion of people who are just going to see that five grand, 10 grand as a, a privacy tax and say, no way. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the, I think the private 
privacy tax aspect of it is, is huge. And I also, go, again, going back, I don't think people want to spend any more money right now, especially on taxes. So a portion of those people that might not file might just be fed up with taxes and the increased cost of living, especially around their housing or their housing investments. And this seems to be the reflection in the polls that we're seeing right now, kind of coast to coast, as you mentioned earlier with the, you know, the heating oil costs and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's just a really difficult time to be adding more costs to housing right now, of anything but housing, especially. So uh, and I, I think it's kind of like people are really, you know, the fourth turning talks about this, like the fourth turning is yes. here, one of my favorite books. And there's a new, his new books out, by the way, you should pick it up. It's called um, The Fourth Turning Is Here, profound title. <laughs> But I think a lot of a lot of people see Canadian real estate as a safe asset the government can't really touch. And I do think by telling people what they can do with their property or taxing them for something, it is kind of a step away from that. And I think, again, like, you know, we know all this research from the Cullen Commission that I mentioned. There's a great book on that, um, Willful Blindness by Sam Cooper, who's a friend of the show. I've done some Twitter spaces with him before. A great book if you want to learn more about snow washing and uh, money yes. laundering in well, Canadian real estate. We did a whole episode estate. on that as well, yeah. right? Yeah. So... I guess we should wrap up here maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, again, I hope everyone got, got some value out of this, right? I mean, this is again, just, we try to keep you all updated on all things, housing, all things, real estate, all things, investing in Canada. So, you know, go check out Kenneth Yim Holmes and his underused housing tax flow chart, uh, flow chart which, uh, which is great. You got a nice picture of Banff, Alberta, uh, Lake, is that? Lake Louise? Yeah, back? I don't know which one. That, you know, yeah, I think that's Lake Louise, yeah. So go check that out. And uh, yeah, hope you guys got a ton of value out of this one. Go yeah. also check out the show notes that have the links for the merch, the links for the course, the links for the meetups, and all the other good stuff that Dan and I are trying to do for all of you. Yeah, and if, if you own your property in a corporation, you're an affected owner. So call your accountant. If yeah. you haven't done it already, call your accountant and do the UHT. Just click the affiliate link. No, just kidding. Um, but <laughs> but we'll put uh, a link to this in the show notes and a link, maybe a link to Kenneth Yim's little flowchart in the show notes as well. But yeah, thanks a lot for, for tuning in. Make sure you check out the course is going to be launching again on the 15th. So keep your eyes open for that. Or released again, so we're going to open up a new group. I don't think we're going to cap it. I think we're going to see how many people we can get. If we get a little out of control, we might cap it. We're going to want you to buy some Christmas sweaters because we want to see you wear them at the meetups that are we're gonna we're gonna announce a December meetup as well. But next meetup is November the fourteenth Tuesday. We'll see you uh, there every second Tuesday of the month. Yeah, love okay. it. Thanks so much for listening. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.